How you doing? Welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show. It is the 17th of May, 2021. I'm Richie Allen. I've got Peter Ebden, former world snooker champion, joining me on the programme today. I can't wait for that. Top man is Peter. Much to discuss with him. BBG Richie is the Twitter thing. Do it, do it to me, do it to me now. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. Do it at me. Do it at me. That's the one, yeah. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. There is much to discuss on the programme. The Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, is currently updating MPs on the Indian variant. So if there's anything interesting, there won't be, but if anything comes out of that, I'll bring you the audio in the first hour of the programme. I'm going to run down the big stories of the day and over the last few days, and then later on, as I said, it is a former World Snooker champion, of course, expert in horse racing bloodlines top man and a qualified healer of course as well Peter Ebden Peter joins me in hour two he's been on the programme before you know this and we've enjoyed having him on and it's been a while so about time he came back on we will talk about mandatory vaccination compulsory vaccination certificates but we'll also kind of have a kind of a laid back look over the last 12 months the lows and the highs. Have there been any highs? Have there been any positives in the last 12 to 14 months? Well, you tell me. Do it to me. By the way, May 17th, May 17th is, uh, well, two things of interest for me. Today marks the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Interphobia and Transphobia. Yes, this is known as Ida Hobbit. I'm not joking now. Ida Hobbit. International Day Against Ida. Homophobia, biphobia, interphobia and transphobia. Ida Hobbit. Today we celebrate LGBTQIA plus people globally and today we try to raise awareness to combat discrimination. Biphobia. Are there people scared of people who have sex with men and women? Are there? I want to speak to those people. I want to re-educate them. And what about interphobia? What the hell is interphobia? A fear of football teams from Milan? From Milan? I don't know. Anyway, listening to uh, UK media is usually a surreal experience for me. I don't know about you. Mad day today. Loads to talk about. I know I say that often, but there's so much. I don't know where to start. Peter in air too. Tell me, have you been hugging the bejesus out of people today? Have you? Have you? Now that the government says that it's legal again to hug people outside your bubble. You can hug people outside your bubble. Have you? Or were you involved in the underground hugging scene since last year? Gorilla huggers. So you've been hugging since day one, basically. Don't lie to me, tell me. You can hug today, but you have to be cautious. We'll come to that in a moment. I've been hearing so much lunacy, so much madness, so much junk science and witch doctory over the last 14 months 
that I've had a nervous breakdown, my shrink told me this morning, my psychiatrist. I've had a nervous breakdown, but it's a more jolly type of nervous breakdown. I'm not sitting in a corner, hugging my knees and crying floods of tears. I'm not running around screaming with men and women in white coats chasing me. I've had a more jolly nervous breakdown over the last 12 months. It's taken its time to creep up on me. But here in sheer madness now, that would previously have been laughed out of town, has had a profound effect on me. And lately, when I've heard something ridiculous, farcical, or just utterly, well, so ridiculous it's sublime, when I've heard something mental, on television and radio, I've been hearing a weird music in my head. I'm not making this up. When I've been listening to telly and radio and I hear a mad thing, like people saying flu has disappeared, you know, we have no flu this season. What's happened is I start hearing a tune, it's a recurring tune, a musical melody in my head and I can't get rid of it. It's worse than tinnitus. So my shrink says it's a new, recently discovered type of panic attack. One that is triggered by exposure to madness. So it's a different type of panic attack. Instead of getting a tightening of the chest and breathing difficulties, which are commonplace in panic attacks, or even blacking out, I'm hearing this tune in my head over and over and over. Uh, It's my brain's way of coping with the madness of the things I hear on telly and radio. Now, Paul Ripley and Hayden Hewitt, Paul from Fab Radio, and Hayden Hewitt of Trigger Warning and Altfeed.org, Those guys are geniuses. They were able to rig up a machine to record it directly from my brain. The music. It scared the bejesus out of me when it started happening, but I've gotten used to the tune, so I have. This is it. So I found myself this morning hearing that constantly as I was watching the mainstream media. Hugging then. Sure, it's gas, so it is. News that restrictions on hugging were being lifted seemed to scare a lot of people witless today. People who do not want to be hugged. Either because they weren't previously comfortable with being hugged or because they're worried about the Indian variant running loose in the northwest, and therefore they think they might catch the new COVID variant from somebody who might be hugging them. Radio 5 Live, Nikki Campbell interviewed an etiquette expert or a bellend, on how to go about hugging. And this guy who teaches us how to go about hugging even has advice for those reluctant to embrace. You will hear Nikki Campbell first before we hear the etiquette expert. The advice on hugging is changing from today. We are addressing that right now at 6.55. People from different households in England and Scotland will be allowed to hug others. First time for millions of people in months, perhaps even more than a year. It's a big thing for loads of you. But for social distancing, it's um, given us uh, a welcome excuse to keep our distance, some of us, and avoid the cringe that can come when somebody tries to grab you. So to hug or uh, not to hug. Are we still bumping elbows and fists and all that? And how do you politely tell someone to back off without causing offence if you're so inclined? We've got him, William Hansen, etiquette expert. Good morning, William. <laughs> Good morning, Nicky. Thank you for having me. V- virtual firm handshake to you, if I may. Yes, thank what you. A, I mean, it's close friends, basically. So 
how, do, how is that judged? And you don't want to offend somebody. You don't want to offend somebody by hugging them when they don't want to be hugged. You know, the bear hug, or is it the polar bear hug, which is a kind of colder thing, or is it the quick, is it the quick in and out? Is it the quick shoulder bash, or a, a very quick kind of how you go and how you know there you are. Oh God. Right, Nikki Campbell, speaking to the etiquette expert. What did the etiquette expert say then in response to Campbell's questions about the hugging and how you do it and who you do it with? Hanson. Well, you, you've got to use your own discretion and communication uh, as well as the key, because even if they are a close friend and, and you, you, are, you are absolutely fine hugging them, they may not wish to hug you or anyone else at the moment. And so in order for uh, any awkwardness to be eased, just talk to each other as you approach each other. Say, are we doing a hug? Are you comfortable doing a hug? You can make a bit of a, a, a joke about it. And thankfully, in Britain, we do have the humour reflex that we can sort of use to, to slightly dispel any awkward tension. Um, but but being clear with your body language as well, if you aren't somebody comfortable with hugging, even though we are now allowed to, to hug those that we are, are close with as of today, then walk up to someone and, and yes, give them the namaste, put your hand on heart, wave at them, give them some sort of signal at sort of three plus metres that hopefully will mean that they don't they don't sort of go and, uh, and <laughs> pull you in for a hug. What was that? Then walk up to someone and, and yes, give them the namaste, put your hand on heart, wave at them, give them some sort of signal at sort of three plus metres that hopefully will mean that they don't they don't sort of go and uh, and pull you in for a hug. Give them a signal at three plus metres that hopefully will mean that they don't pull you in for a hug. Oh, it's catching now. You'll never get that out of your head. Pull them in. Don't pull them in. Don't hug them. Hug them. Give them a signal at three metres. Give them a namaste. Put your hand on your heart. Then give them the three metre signal. Mother of divine Jesus Christ. What else? What else I said? What else I said? Uh, I would like, there are a couple of very close friends I'd like to hug, um, and, and probably will be. In fact, a few friends that have been vaccinated, I, I know I'll be more comfortable hugging them. And I'll He'll be more comfortable hugging his friends that have been vaccinated, mm, if he knew what we knew. And I'll hug will you make a, Will you make a television arrange, uh, telephone arrangement? Will you make a telephone arrangement, says Nikki Campbell? Pretty soon you'll have to get planning permission. I might send them a diary invitation. <laughs> or a stiff white card invitation through the post. What about a handshake? When? How? Um, yes, I, I think in a business setting, I would be absolutely fine with handshaking, but I would make sure that before I meet anyone that I have anti-backed my hand, uh, and I would sort of make a, a point of sort of anti-backing afterwards. And actually... Anti-backing. That's new, isn't it? Anti-backing. I would make a point of anti-backing before proffering my hand. Meet anyone that I have anti-backed my hand. Uh, and I would sort of make a, a point of sort of anti-backing afterwards. And actually... Making a point of anti-backing before shaking your hands and afterwards. Pre-COVID, actually, if you, if you anti-backed your hand in front of somebody before you shook their hand or afterwards, people would be terribly offended. But I think now we're at a stage where if you don't anti-back your hand in front of somebody, people would be terribly offended. It's, it's completely switched. Um, so I think it, it is a sort of a courtesy now to show that you are, are considering uh, their, their hygiene and their, their health. Yeah. Imperial College London professor Peter Openshaw, he won't be hugging. He's worried that it's all come a little bit too early. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, some of us are quite happy not to be 
um, hugging and kissing many times on the cheek. Um, I, this is a, a high-risk procedure. High-risk procedure. I would say in medical terms. And I would certainly not be um, embracing people closely. Yeah. I think you can greet people perfectly well um, at a distance with a smile and a kind word. Yeah, Peter Openshaw married the first woman, the Chagdom. Guaranteed. Absolute geek. That's a superhero geek right there. Eh? I mean, did you get that about what hugging is? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, some of us are quite happy not to be um, hugging and kissing many times on the cheek. Um, I, this is a, a high-risk procedure, I would say. High-risk procedure is hugging. Yeah, yeah. Having a vaccine, which isn't a vaccine, an injection into your arm. Toxic crap, fetal cells, God knows what else that hasn't been properly trialled that is brand new, that isn't really a vaccine, that doesn't prevent you becoming ill, that's a high-risk procedure, I would have said. Hugging somebody is the most natural human thing. It's the most naturally warm and loving thing the two human beings can do. These people are sick. They're sick bastards, these people, aren't they? And something needs to be done about these people. But peacefully, and I mean that, something. what do we do about these people? We can't go terrorising people. We should not ever do that. We shouldn't run after people in the street screaming at them and shouting at them. We, we cannot. Violence, of course, is even worse. That's completely out. What do we do with psychopaths like Peter Openshaw, who says that hugging is... So, Jesus, Mary and Holy Saint Joseph. What did he say again? Kissing many times on the cheek. Um, I, this is a, a high-risk high procedure, risk procedure, I would say. In- yeah, I would say. What, I don't know what we do with guys like him. What do we do? I said on my website today on richieallen.co.uk there was a time when these guys would have been laughed out of town. Satirists, comedians and comedians would have ruined this guy. Ruined him. Ruined him. Would have, would have destroyed him, would have humiliated him to the degree that he would have had to pack up and move and leave the country. But where are the comedians and comedians? Why is this radio show the only one in the country sending up these buffoons? Where's the comics? It's a good question, isn't it? BBC Radio 5 Live traffic girl Michelle has a conundrum. Hers is a problem faced by families up and down the country. Traffic Lady Michelle, BBC Radio 5. Let's yeah. get a look at the travel, shall we? <laughs> yes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's us. Yeah. We mean business. Hello, Michelle. <laughs> Hello. Who uh, are we'll you hugging in... today, by the way? Because I know you'll be hugging someone. Well, the thing is, I mean, you know me, like I throw my arms around anyone, don't I? But I must admit, I am still a little bit nervous because I've not been vaccinated myself. Like Mm. I know a lot of people who have. My mum's had both her vaccinations, so she's definitely going to be getting a hug if she's willing to have one. Because again, I'm going to have to sort of say to her, are you all right? Because she knows I haven't been vaccinated. So it's like you say before, it's just those conversations you've got to have with people. But I'm hoping to go and give my mum a cuddle. So... Let's see if she agrees, I think. Let's see if mum agrees. (laughs) She's been vaccinated, had two doses. I've not had mine yet, so she might be a bit worried. The only solution here, of course, is for the tabloid newspapers to print a wall chart like they do for the World Cup. Print a wall chart and put it in the centre of the newspaper. Put all your family's names on and their vaccine status. Put someone in charge of it with a marker. Right, so Uncle Mikey has only had one job, a jab even. Michael, Uncle Mikey's only had one jab, so it's namaste only for Uncle Mikey. 
maybe a wave from, from a distance, right? Nanny Shirley has had both jabs, but her second jab was only yesterday. So you can hug Nanny Shirley, but wear a mask when you do so. Fill in the chart. Bet you the Sun newspaper will print one now. It'll be in the paper on Thursday. A wall chart so you know who you've hugged and when you can hug them and who's had what vaccine and who hasn't. The Richie Allen Radio Show is live from Salford in Greater Manchester with me, the BBG, 16 minutes past five. Europe's most listened to independent radio show. Corner shop, brim full of ash, the Norman Cook remix to give it its proper title. The Richie Allen Radio Show, 19 minutes past five, Monday's programme. The BBG, the biggest, baldiest gammon on planet Earth. That's me. Right, get rid of that. Speaking of bell ends, do you know what a bell end is if you're in America? Do you know what a bell end is if you're in Donegal? You probably do. Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber is a bell end because he's the genius who gave us cats. Nothing. There's never been anything so rubbish as cats, the musical. Musicals in general are garbage, aren't they? Rubbish things, musicals. God forbid. If I was. I, do, you know what, do, you know, do you know where I would send child abusers? Don't bang them up. Don't castrate them. Don't send them into exile. Sit them down, strap them into a chair, and make them watch cats for 15 years non stop. Garbage. It is absolute rubbish. And these idiots who go to musicals, they think they're culture. Do you know? Culture is opera. Culture is the marriage of Figaro. That's culture, right? Opera, the musicals are shit. Absolute crap. Andrew Lloyd Webber was on the BBC World at One News radio programme this afternoon. Andrew Lloyd Webber says that COVID vaccine refusers, like me, I don't know about you, but like me, well, that we're selfish. And he compared us, apparently, to drink drivers. What a dipstick, Rodney. I do think it's selfish because, I mean, look at it this way. I mean, you could just say, um, I would like to go out and have a drink tonight and drive home and accidentally I kill somebody. Now, I mean, it seems to be that, you know, that nobody's going to go out and, and in deliberately infect anybody with COVID. But it's completely wrong if we know the science. I mean, I was on the Oxford vaccine trial last year for this reason. We know that the vaccines are very effective and that we know that they are really, broadly speaking, unbelievably safe. And it's Unbelievably safe. He's given you a clue there. He's given you a clue. I'm beginning to like Andrew Lloyd Webber. He's not that stupid, is he? They're unbelievably safe. Yes, I don't believe they are safe. It just seems to me that it is just not... Uh, I think the Queen put it rather well. The Queen what? Well, it's, it, it, you've got to think of other people in all of this. But it's a very stark comparison to make that, isn't it, between drink driving and refusing a vaccine? Well, I don't know. I think, you, you know, you could argue it's your choice. I, I, I mean, I feel very strongly now that there are... Really now, people who have got to realise that it's it, it, that by not having the vaccine, they're affecting an enormous number of people's jobs and livelihoods. Mm. But he's got to take his dick out to count to 11, Andrew Lloyd Webber there. The man who gave us cats. Can't think of what else he gave us. He gave us cats, though. Rubbish. But anyway, let's move on. 22 minutes past uh, the hour. Five o'clock it is. Five o'clock it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard the music again in my head when listening to him. I Honestly, I did. <laughs> ever feel just like doing that listening to this crap that you know is madness <laughs> that's what you feel like doing just running outside naked sitting down in the garden and just giving it Yee! 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, stop it. Stop it. Wasn't funny the first time, Baldy. All right, okay. Let's move it right on. That one bombed. Did it like a lead balloon. Uh, you can fly to the Algarve from today, if you fancy it. And some journalists and reporters did fly to the Algarve to bear witness to the procedures and all the do's and don'ts. Charlotte Lynch works for LBC. She's a reporter. She boarded an EasyJet flight. I think it's EasyJet anyway. There are other flights. Uh, so she's on the plane and she's reporting live from the plane just before it takes off. It's noisy and she's wearing a mask, the poor girl, but you'll get the gist of what she is telling us. Here she is, Charlotte Lynch, on board a plane about to depart for the fucking Algarve. <laughs> Turn off the music, you useless baldy bastard. Right, music turned right off. Okay, Charlotte Lynch is on a plane and she's reporting before the plane taxis to the runway. We're about to take off. You can see the flight is practically full. There's just a row of empty seats behind me. But other than that, lots of people jetting off to Portugal today. There's just been an announcement over the tannoy saying that if people can't wear their masks, they will have to spend the start of their holiday in Portugal in the police station. Now, from what I can see, everybody's behaving. We're just waiting to take off now. But this is what it's like. Everybody in their masks. Everybody in their masks. But wasn't that amazing? What they were told by the pilot just before they began to taxi. Listen to what she says. Portugal today. There's just been an announcement over the tannoy saying that if people can't wear their masks, they will have to spend the start of their holiday in Portugal in the police station. Now, from what I can see... The feckin' cheek of the flight crew. If you can't wear your mask... Good evening, this is Captain Richie Allen. I'll be your captain today. I'll be taking you down to the Algarve. Uh, if you don't wear your fucking mask, you'll be beginning... You'll be, be beginning... You'll be beginning the start of your holiday from behind bars. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? What happened to enjoy your flight? We'll be serving beverages. We'll reach our cruising altitude of 29,945 feet shortly. Uh, we'll send peanuts out and crisps and maybe a couple of drinks. Uh, just relax, enjoy yourself, pay attention to the safety card on the seat in front of you. All is good. Keep your eyes off the tits of the flight attendant and watch what they're actually doing when they're showing you the emergency exits. Eyes off breasts, please. What happened to all of that? Now it's sitzen, schnell, gotten himmel, achtung. Ihre papieren bitte. Wären die masken bitte. Keep your mask on or you'll begin your holiday in a Portuguese police station. Wow. Chef Marco Pierre White wants compulsory passports, so he does. He was on Good Morning Britain. Chef Marco Pierre White. He wants compulsory vaccine passports. I think, I think, I think having, I think passports are very good, actually, um, especially if you look at what's happening in the news. Um, I think to have a, a vaccine passport is really clever, and, uh, <laughs> but it hasn't been made compulsory yet, but I, I think it should be. I think it should be. It hasn't been made compulsory yet, but I think it should be. Yeah. So should serving good food. That should be compulsory as well. Not that shit that you serve up for £25 a, a course, Marco Pierre. Let's hope Marco's restaurant sinks without trace. Apparently, it's shite anyway. Shall we spend a few minutes with Naga Munchetti? Munchetti, the munchkin with the elfin face. Google her and laugh. Naga Munchetti. She was all about mandating vaccines this morning. Now, you know why, don't you? The Indian variant is running rampant in Bolton and Blackburn, don't you? The Indian variant. And young men and women in Blackburn and Bolton, God help them. God help them in their stupidity. 
absolute abject stupidity. They are queuing for miles to get a vaccine. And they are standing on street corners waiting for vaccine buses to come along to jab the bejesus out of them because they've been scared to death by the threat of lockdown being delayed or the ending of lockdown being delayed. This is very clever, you see. Right? They're saying to all these young people, many of them from uh, an Asian background, they're saying, well, we've got the Indian variant. It's running rampant because of you, you vaccine-skeptic little monsters, you. Right? Okay. And they're saying it's because the anti-vaxxers haven't been vaxxed. So not only are you little bastards putting yourselves at risk, you're putting us all in harm's way. So this is the big story today. Here's the pixie-esque Nagabunchetti opening our show this morning, Radio 5 Live. The BBC, well, has it ever had any shame? Two-thirds of all UK adults have received their first dose of the vaccine and more than 20 million people have had both jabs. But as things open up, the spread of the Indian variant is a concern and this could be the moment when vaccine hesitancy puts new freedoms at risk. Listen to what the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, said on Andrew Marr's programme on Sunday. There are right now 18 people in hospital with coronavirus in Bolton and the majority of those people haven't had the jab but are eligible for the jab. Ah, 18 people. God, the NHS is under some pressure in Bolton, huh? 18 people in hospital with coronavirus and most of them haven't had a vaccine. The jab. Okay, so let's take a moment there. Some of those hospitalised in Bolton... Listen to the presenter. ...had refused to take the jab. It begs the question, what is the government doing to tackle vaccine hesitancy? It does have national implications for all of us. We know already that the next stage of opening up, that key date, June 21st, is under review. So we're asking, can we allow opening up to be delayed? Can we allow opening up to be delayed? Because of a few. Ah. How do we persuade those few How do we to get the jab? Them? Have you been having those conversations? Text me, 8505. Yeah, yeah, we won't be texting her. Nagamunchetti there. Why should we allow the delaying of opening up because of a few who refuse to have the jab? And what can we do about it? That was the theme of her programme on the BBC this morning. So she had a doctor on, a doctor called Yusuf Sonny. Yusuf Sonny or Yusuf Sonny? Yusuf S-O-N-I. He's a GP at the Riverside Practice in Stockton. He's worked with explaining, he's been part of a programme explaining to reluctant British Asians why they should have the jab. So he's done this over the last few months. Nagamunchetti, the presenter, wants to know about mandating the vaccine. You'll hear her question him and his answer. So do you think there's a resistance in being told what to do? Because that's the, the other thing that's being mooted, isn't it? That the government makes it compulsory to, ha to be vaccinated. Yes, and I, and I think what we are seeing now is that it's not only you that you're putting yourself at risk, you might be putting others at risk. And mm. I think this is a completely new situation. We have never been in it. And I think um, as more and more people are getting affected, there's certainly more and more pressure building up on the government to do something along those lines. Mm, he's unequivocal. There's pressure building on the government to do something along those lines. Those lines being mandating, telling people 
that they must have the vaccine by law. Never done the tough talk thing. Never been a fake tough guy. Um, nobody's putting a vaccine in my arm. And I've heard people talk about suing people. Great people, like Professor Dolores Cahill, whom I've uh, all the time in the world for, an amazing woman. The best of Ireland, I think, uh, Dolores. A peaceful woman, obviously. If they dragged me off, she said I'd sue them. Um, I'd kill them if they attempted to relocate me to, to, to a surgery to have the vaccine administered. I'd kill as many of them as I possibly could if it came to that. And I've never talked tough. I abhor violence. I loathe it. I despise those who advocate violence as a, as a solution to problems. I really do. I won't use violence to solve a problem ever. I'll never support it. Um, but when it comes to defending yourself, if it ever got to that, they better come mob-handed. You know what I mean? They better come mob-handed. So Dr. Yusuf Sonny and Naga Munchetti and anybody else who thinks that it might be okay for the government to mandate a vaccine, they're fascists. That's what they are. So how would you go about avoiding mandating the vaccine? Yusuf Sonny, this doctor in, in the northeast. How do you avoid mandating it? Can you tell us how you would persuade your fellow northeasterners to have the jab, how would you persuade them? We have to push, we have to go forward, explain them, look, it's not about just you or, you, because you are putting your family at risk. It's not just you. And I, I think that gets people to think about, okay, um, maybe I don't want it, but what about if I'm putting my family at risk? And uh, on a larger scale, you are putting your community and your country. So uh, I go in those uh, four things. I tell them you need to protect yourself. You need to protect your family. You need to protect your community and you need to protect your country. So those are the very four clear messages that I've been consistent in terms of getting them to vaccinate. And, and it works. And I think once you are able to give them enough explanation as to what is happening and and give them that time and opportunity to ask questions you can convert those um, negative um, negative minds into definitely and we have seen that happening in in uh, stockton and middlesbrough we have seen that happening so it, it does work yeah do it for your country do it for others because by doing it you protect others you protect your country and by doing it you expedite the removal of restrictions this is the blackmail game now they're playing in Bolton and Blackburn. This is what they're doing. They're blackmailing youngsters. They're saying, if you don't do it, you're going to make other people sick. If you don't get the vaccine, which isn't a vaccine, it's an injection of toxic pus and shit. If you don't have that injection, you're going to give other people an illness. This is a lie, but that's what they're saying. But then they're saying, and lockdown easing is going to take a little bit longer, maybe a lot longer. Do it for your country. Do it for your community. On the very same programme, Naga Munchetti, she interviewed Jason Groves. He's the political editor of the Daily Mail. Now, Munchetti asked him about the possibility of tensions rising between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Again, this is where it's all going. The vaccinated will blame the unvaccinated for a delay in ending lockdown, and they will also blame the unvaccinated for the spread of variants. Jason Groves, political editor of the Daily Mail, 
Will it get very divisive, Jason? Yeah, I think it could get pretty nasty, uh, and p- particularly if, uh, uh, you know, for the rest of us, uh, next month our freedoms are delayed, if we're uh, told that there are certain things that we uh, can't go and do, and we're told that the reason for that is because uh, there's a bunch of people who, who, who won't have the vaccine, and I think inevitably that will be divisive, and uh, I think that's why... The government doesn't really want to talk about it, <clears throat> doesn't really want to talk about that issue uh, particularly and is, is, is going to be making some pretty, uh, pretty frantic efforts, I think, over the next few weeks to try and get those vaccine rates up. Uh, yeah, you're right. It'd be hugely divisive. I got messages like that myself yesterday, some of which I can't really read out on air. Mm, it's going to be divisive. He's been writing about it, has Jason Groves. Let me read a few tweets. How you doing, by the way? Thanks for listening to the programme today. The great Peter Ebden will join me in 25 minutes' time, a little over 25 minutes' time. Can't wait to speak with Peter again. Caroline says, referring to Dr Yusuf Sony, she says, the government have been putting us at risk for donkey's years. Idiot! She refers to Dr Sony. Weapons of not where to be seen, of nowhere to be seen destruction. Just one thing. Yes, Caroline, of course. Governments lying through their teeth for decades and decades. Lying us into wars that killed millions of people. Putting people in, in this country at risk. It's a very good point indeed. Hi to Debs as well. How you doing, Debs? Let us uh, move on down. Hi to Steve O'Neill, who was listening this afternoon. How you doing, Steve? Hi to Gail. Hi to Chris Morell, who says, Richie, many anecdotal reports... We, we, we've seen many anecdotal reports that the majority of people in hospital with COVID-19 have been vaccinated. Chris, I can't endorse that. It's not to say that I don't believe you, but I can't endorse that. I haven't seen those figures myself, that the majority of people in hospital now with COVID have been vaccinated, even though it might make sense because so many people have been vaccinated. So I haven't seen those figures yet, Chris, so I can't say, yeah, you're absolutely right, mate. But I, I, I think you might very well be right. It makes sense. And on that theme, Hev, H-E-V, tweets, what about the vaccinated that are in hospital? Yes, absolutely. Okay, we'll have to get some um, data on that sort of stuff. Right, okay. Um, before we carry on, let's have another tune. It's Desiree, and you got to be 23 minutes to the top of the hour. Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford. Uh, as I mentioned, Peter Ebden, hour two. Lots more to come between now and Peter. Lots more to tell you on the other side of this classic tune. Desiree, you gotta be. The Richie Allen Radio Show, 19 minutes to 6 o'clock then. Yes. Thanks for all your messages. I did post on the website richieallen.co.uk that Peter was coming on. And some of you are leaving comments there. That might be the way forward when I eventually get banned on Twitter. That's an inevitability, by the way. Uh, Scaramouche says, How on earth is an unvaccinated person a risk to a vaccinated person? It would mean a vaccinated person would be a risk to a vaccinated person, says Scaramouche. I follow the logic. Well done. Cheers, mate. A good good point, that. RichieAllen.co.uk Now, Health Secretary Matt Hancock has been addressing MPs and he's been talking to them about the COVID variant, the Indian variant, 
and all of that nonsense. Let's hear a little bit from him. He says here a short time ago, he said a short time ago rather, that there are now fewer than a thousand people in the UK in hospital with coronavirus. I want you to think about that now. In a country, the United Kingdom, with a population in excess of 60 million people, he says there are fewer than 1,000 people in hospital with coronavirus. But we still have to be very, 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 very careful. Cuidado, por favor. Here he is. I can report to the House that there are now fewer than 1,000 people in hospital in the United Kingdom with coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. And the average number of daily deaths is now nine. This progress means we're able to take step three in our roadmap today, carefully easing some of the restrictions that we've all endured. People have missed the things that make life worth living. Businesses have endured hardship and everybody has made sacrifices. And while we can take this step today, we must be humble in the face of this virus. We've all learned over the past year that in a pandemic, we must look not just at where we are today, but where the evidence shows we may be in weeks and months down the track. Weeks and months down the track, eh? Wow. We must be humble in the face of the virus. Let's not just... uh return the country to normal and apologise for the damage we've done to people's lives. No, no, let's be careful and look down the road weeks and months ahead. Of course, they mean top-up vaccines and top-up vaccines again, more variants and all that nonsense coming in the winter. Of course, once we get to the winter, they're going to say that flu has returned. Oh, shite, flu is back. And now we have new COVID variants. We need to have local lockdowns. Masks have to come back. Loads of vaccines. That's where it's going, you see. These psychopaths are not going away. What else did he say? He said that vaccines are effective against the Indian COVID variant, but that the Indian COVID variant has a higher transmission rate, so we should all be, well, we should all be scared. Here he is. I also want to tell the House the latest scientific assessment of this variant. The early evidence suggests that B1617.2 is more transmissible than the previously dominant B1117 variant. We what the fuck is that? do not yet know to what extent it's more transmissible. And while we also don't have the complete picture on the impact of the vaccine, the early laboratory data from Oxford University corroborates the provisional evidence from Bolton Hospital and the initial observational data from India that vaccines are effective against this variant. This, of course, is reassuring, but the higher transmission poses a real risk. Yeah, Matt Hancock there. There are things, again, I can't say here because I wouldn't mean them. And some people might take them literally and I might get into trouble. I wouldn't mean them. I could lose my temper and say things that I wouldn't mean. Because as I've said before, you know, I'm not going to repeat it. Matt Hancock there. Right, uh, let's move on. Billy Joe says, Richie, I have to disagree about musicals. The Singing Detective and Pennies from Heaven were brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, Billy Joe. Yeah, it's all, it's all subjective, isn't it? Isn't it? Gary says, Richie, have they gone too early with the Indian variant scare tactic? As numbers will surely not grow significantly until autumn. Maybe another variant is set up for autumn. Ponders Gary. Gary... Why not, pal? Again, that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable prediction or a reasonable 
summary of where we are, uh, to me it is. I to Sharon who says that she'd love to slap Matt Hancock. Yes, we might fantasise about doing these things, but we must never do them. And I do mean that sincerely. Ever. Never. It's what they want, you see. It is. They want us to be violent. One of the most profound scenes in cinema history, bear with me for a minute, is the climax of Return of the Jedi. When the Empire, who represents darkness, the Emperor, who's basically the guardian of darkness and and anger and misery and everything low vibrational, the Emperor wants Luke Skywalker to give in to rage and hatred and to murder his father, who's obviously not so much his father anymore. He's a transhumanist, kind of half-robot, half-man kind of a thing. Luke Skywalker says no, because he realises at that moment that that's exactly what the establishment wants him to do, is to give in to hatred, to become violent, and to do unspeakable things, because there's no going back. So when I preach non-violence, I mean it. I have a past, times in the past, when I did use violence as a solution, many, many years ago. I was a difficult young man, me. I had a lot of problems, a lot of bad things I experienced. Not now, though. Peace is the only way. Non-violent civil disobedience on a massive scale. They want us to become violent. Do you think the system gives a shit about Andrew Lloyd Webber? Do you think the establishment gives a shit about Matt Hancock? If you were to punch Matt Hancock in the face, do you think the system cares? Wants people to become angry and to be in a state of rage and hatred and anger because in that state, that low vibrational state, you're basically ill and you're incapable. You're no good to yourself and you're no good to the people that you really love. Well, that's my opinion. And I do mean that. My great friend Patricia in Zurich says, Richie, COVID vaccine deaths, the numbers point to a catastrophe by John Rappaport. There has been a massive increase in deaths reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System this year. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's an indisputable fact. That's a brilliant point, Patricia. And we do remember Tucker Carlson on Fox News last week or the week before. I think it was the week before. In fact, it was uh, the week before. Expressing incredulity at the numbers of deaths being reported to VAERS in America. Yes, there is a huge problem with these treatments because they're not vaccines. Anne says, I shouldn't laugh, Richie, but it's difficult not to. Well, with your take on the absolute lunacy of it all, I try. I tried to make a skiggle, Anne. Because for me, it's the best medicine. When we laugh, you know... It dispels. That's what I meant earlier on. Where are the comedians destroying these goons? As they would have done. Goons! Who talk about hogs being high-risk procedures. What sort of madman describes a hog as a high-risk procedure? (laughs) So you don't become angry. Don't become angry. Don't hate them. Don't want to hurt them. Don't ever want to hurt them. Laugh them out of town. Ridicule them. You know, I said, that's bullying. No, it's not. It's not bullying him. These fuckers want us to live in this state of misery. This horrible prison state forever. They're enabling it. So laugh them out of town. 
dispel them, take away, dis, dispel their theories, take away the power that we've given them, laugh at them, mock them, laugh and be joyous, laughing at them. That's what I do every day. These fools. I think of how humiliated I would be if I was saying the things that they're saying. I listen to Nikki Campbell on BBC Radio 5 Live, Jeremy Vine on Radio 2, the fuckwits on Sky News. And I think to myself, and I've never been arrogant, I don't sit around patting myself on the back, I'm not that special, but I think to myself at times, you're great, Richie. You're great in a certain way because you, you couldn't do that. You couldn't be complicit in such a lie. Nicky Campbell asking an etiquette expert, how do we avoid hugs? What the fuck? You know, did the doctor give your mother a slap, Nicky, when you were born? What sort of fucking man could go along with that and then call himself a journalist at the end of the day? Not me. I reject, I turned my back on that life. Back in 2014, David Icke is my witness. I was offered a fortune by a commercial radio station to present breakfast because I am a funny radio presenter. I, I'm, I'm, I'm an experienced, funny guy. I know the medium. Offered me a fucking fortune. And I thought, no, I can't do it. I can't talk to some Z-list dickhead from The Only Way is Essex and then do the traffic and travel and then speak to some loser from The X Factor and pretend that everything is okay and take a big fat salary. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be like Nicky Campbell. I couldn't be like uh, Soph uh, Sophie, Sophie Ridge on Sky News. How did they sleep at night? enabling these goons who tell us that hugs are dangerous procedures, high-risk procedures. How could you enable that? How could you look at your children? When you come in from work, Sophie Ridge has got a kid, she's got a kid on the way. Does she not care about them? What? Really? You're going to, allow, you're going to laugh? She interviewed Matt Hancock yesterday morning. They laughed about hugging. Laughed about it. No. No, it's not happening. Not for me, it's not. So I've gone a long way to answering Anne's question. Laughter, laugh at them, mock them, lampoon them, send them up, ridicule them, hyena laugh at them, belly laugh at these fools. And the more people who do that, the more they'll go away. I'm telling you, in the end. Anne, uh, not Anne, Laura Dodsworth is an author and a journalist. She's got a book out. It's called A State of Fear. She looked back. The book looks back at what the government did to make people scared last spring, last March and April and May. She was on Julia Hartley Brewer's programme this morning to talk about the book. And she says that the Indian variant nonsense is a psychological nudge basically to keep fear levels high. Laura Dodsworth speaking with Julia Hartley Brewer on talk radio this morning. She's an interesting lady. Have a listen. Yeah, it's so interesting today, isn't it? This is the day when restrictions are being uh, relaxed and it should be a day for celebration. But, you know, at the same time, there's this widespread suspicion that the latest modelling, um, which was released from SAGE, which had some quite extraordinary predictions for hospitalisations and deaths this summer, and also the talk about so-called variants like the Indian variant, are actually psychological nudges to encourage us to keep following the rules, to keep fear levels high, even if it's supposedly for our own good. So I think the story of the last year would look on the face of it to be about an epidemic. 
Um, but for me, my journalistic investigation took me to a completely different story, which is a story of fear. Behavioural psychology is now very deeply embedded in government. It's how the government does things. It's how they get us to to change our ways, to become model citizens and to follow rules. And one of the big learnings for me in this book is not just how they've used fear supposedly in our best interests to make us follow lockdown rules. It's how much behavioural psychology is part of how the government relates to us. Um, There was a really extraordinary document that was released last year, dated March 22nd, where the behavioural scientists who report into SAGE and the government said that some people were too complacent because they understood that the risk of death was low for their age. And so what they recommended doing was raising the, um, the sense of threat for everybody to encourage us to follow the rules. And this, so this that's was, an this open was... admission. This was members of the Scientific Pandemic Influenza Group on Behaviour, uh, SPY-B, is that how we, we pronounce that? They yes. were, they were well officially, done for spelling out. <laughs> they were officially yeah. asked, you know, how do we go about trying to change people's behaviour? What do we need to do to get people to, to, to go along with this? Yeah, that's what they did last year. They said in their own documentation that the virus isn't really that dangerous. So how do we get people to think it is? You see, the dipstick that's wearing the mask out on the street. You can't speak to these people. The cognitive dissonance. They won't listen to you. You can speak to them and say, listen, the government employed people last year. It employed people last year to employ, excuse me, to run a PSYOP. The government employed people to run a PSYOP on you. To convince you that black was in fact white and that jam was in fact marmalade. That a virus that was harmless to the great, great, great majority of the population was in fact deadly and that you were living in your own version of Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman and Rennie Russo. It's in their own fucking documentation. They don't deny this. And this woman has written a book about it. But you can't speak to people. You can't grab a guy, even people you know, and say, what do you think of this? Because when they hear that, it should be game over, right? They should say, fucking hell, I didn't know that. Wow, were they? Jesus, yeah. Wow, well, I better rethink this whole, you know, uh, plague thing. No, they don't want to know people. That's the the extent to which people have been terrorised. Mad. Mad stuff. Let me read a few more tweets before we uh, move on briefly. Look, I've said everything I've, I could ever say on Palestine. And I understand why one or two of you are surprised that today I've not dedicated much time or any time to what's happening in Palestine. I've said it all over the years, what I feel about the Israeli government. I'm not going to repeat it now. I've written it. I've said it. It's... um got me in some bother over the years with people who've made accusations against me. That won't stop me. I'll talk about it in the future. I can't say any more than what I've said. Israel is an apartheid state. It is illegally occupying a land, persecuting the indigenous people of that land, torturing and murdering them. They didn't just start doing this in the last week, by the way. They've been doing it since, well, since the 1940s. It's an apartheid state, it's a racist state, and I don't mean that every Israeli is racist, far from it. 
It's done unspeakable things. I've called it the Fourth Reich. I've given my reasons over the years for calling it the Fourth Reich. This is a country that engaged in programmes like sterilising Ethiopian Jews. Because Jews are not a race, you see. Jewish people, most Jewish people are like you and me. They're white. Now, if you're a black listener, don't take offence to that. The majority of my listeners, I, I think, coming from uh, the UK and Ireland and parts of Western Europe, most of them are white, right? Jews are white, Caucasians. They're Jewish because they believe in God. Christians and Muslims are Christians and Muslims because they believe in God, but Muslims are not a race either. And I don't say that to be offensive. Um, my understanding is the majority of Jews agree and say, no, we're not a race. In fact, some of the most vile racists in history um, in America, genuinely vile racists, um, they used to categorise Jews as a race so that they could accuse the Jews as a race of basically being especially evil. That's what the KKK did and other racists. They said, well, the Jews are a special race of evil people hell-bent on world domination. And Jews, even last year, there was a Jewish woman on Sky News and she said, no, we're not a race. We're, um, we're a culture. Um, that's one of the reasons they sterilised Ethiopians, because Zionists want us to believe that Jews are a race, uh, a special race of people called by God and promised the land they now occupy illegally by God himself. That's what, uh, that's what Zionists believe and it's what a lot of Jewish people believe. But I can't keep talking about it. Violence is wrong, no matter who does it. I understand, as an Irish Republican who knows his history, I understand why the Palestinians, I understand why Hamas does what it does. But I don't agree with it. I didn't agree with the IRA bombing pubs in England or killing pensioners at a Remembrance Day parade wearing their medals. I don't agree with any of that stuff uh, because I'm a, I'm, I'm a pacifist. But uh, I can't say any more about Israel today and, uh, and, pa and Palestine because I've said it all before. What's happening there now is dreadful. Every couple of years, every few years, they destroy the Gaza they start piecing their lives back together again, which is really difficult because Gaza is blockaded. Nobody's allowed in, nobody's allowed out. And they try and get their lives back together. And every few years, Israel does it again. It flies over Gaza with state-of-the-art airplanes, bombs it back to the Stone Age, kills loads and loads of innocent people, and the world doesn't give a shit. I can't say any more than that. It's six o'clock. Thanks for your tweets. Hi to Faisal. Uh, if I did, if I if I mentioned you, or maybe I did mention you already, it doesn't matter. I mentioned you again. Hi to William in Scotland. How you doing, William? Hi to Andy. How you doing, Andy? Uh, hi to Roddy. Roddy says, Richie, I rarely laugh out loud by myself, but when you're on a roll, I can't help it. Thanks, Roddy. At least somebody's laughing, I suppose. Hi to Bill. Bill says the goons can sleep at night, Richie, because they, well, they they get huge wedges of cash to spout these lies, and they've got no morals or no soul says Bill. You might be right, Bill. You might be right, pal. I think it might be a bit more than the money, though, but I don't know. Is it more than the money? Are some of these people compromised? I don't know. Here's a great old tune from Shaz and Dave, just for the crack, because of my next guest. 
Right, three minutes past six o'clock, Shaz and Dave there, the Matchroom Gang, I think Matchroom Mob, Matchroom Gang. Let's welcome back to the programme, a friend of ours, lovely getting to know him in the last uh, six or eight months, by the way, former world snooker champion, a qualified healer, a horse trainer himself and an expert in bloodlines. Lovely to welcome back the great Peter Ebden. Shocking me playing that song, but I'm never going to get a chance to play it ever again, so I thought I'd do it today. How are you? Richie, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Great to have you on. Um, lots to, to get into. Loads of tweets as well. T- today, since I announced you were coming on, people asking me mm-hmm. to put questions to you. Um, yeah. One of the first questions I was asked to put to you today, you being a, obviously a world-class sportsman, what do you reckon what's happened in the last 12 months has done to sport, really on every level, not just professionally, but sport for, for, for youngsters? We know that obviously it's been suspended and it's been on and off for kids all around the country. Uh, and as a you know a former world champion, I'm sure you'll have something to say on that, Peter. What what, what has it meant for sport, uh, and exercise, and activity? Well, I think it's been disastrous, hasn't it? I think everybody would admit that. You know, it's an integral part of a young person's growth, their education, their fitness. Um, it's affecting their um, you know mental state of mind. It's been absolutely disastrous. Um, I think from a, a sporting perspective, um, snooker has escaped uh, most of that because snooker has abided by the rules. It's been incredibly well run. Um, I know Barry Hearn has just recently stepped down, but he's just done a fantastic job for world snooker. Um, but it, it, it has been absolutely disastrous. And, you know, going on to what they're doing to children, the experimentation, wearing masks, you know, they want to vaccinate young children. For me, that's child abuse. It really is, you know. I think for children to be subjected to these sort of things without really being old enough to make their own mind up, I think it's absolutely disgraceful. But, yeah, you know, in the wider aspects, um, it's been disastrous for many people and and obviously in, in the sporting world as well, Richie. Isn't it funny you mentioned there the mask wearing before we talk about vaccination? Public Health England, excuse me, Us For Them, which is an organisation which looks out for the rights of children, Us For Them were able to discover a few weeks ago that Public Health England advocated mask wearing for secondary school children but never did any impact study on what the mask wearing might mean for kids. That, that should astonish parents, shouldn't it, Peter? It is absolutely astonishing and is absolutely disgraceful. Um, you know, we know from the various studies that have been done that when people are wearing masks, they're disrupting the natural process of breathing in oxygen and expelling toxins. Uh, and, and now we've seen in various studies that these masks are containing potentially cancerous materials, microbeads and, and all sorts of things. I think to put a mask on anyone, my personal opinion, I think is absolutely disgraceful. And and just think of the poor people that suffer from asthma that are not getting the the levels of oxygen that they need. I mean, I think I might have mentioned this to you before, whether privately, um, but a friend of mine was rushed into hospital previously with a suspected heart attack. And fortunately, it wasn't a heart attack. But from my perspective, I believe it was the result of long-term mask wearing. That's just my uh, opinion. Unfortunately, he, he was, um, you know, he's okay now. But, yeah, it's been absolutely di- disastrous, Richie. And, you know, when they're affecting young people especially, the whole of society without doing proper studies, it's absolutely disgraceful. But 
you know, if I'm right, and I've not been keeping up to date with this because I'm getting on with my own life, I think from when I was doing research previously with regard to vaccines, doesn't it take seven to ten years to develop a vaccine? And, and all of a sudden this was developed in months. We, we've got no idea what the medium effects are going to be, um, let alone the long-term effects, but we know the short-term effects um, have been absolutely disastrous. People have died as a direct result of the vaccine. Um, and I think you shared a story with me uh, the other day about a former taekwondo champion whose leg exploded yeah, leg after exploded. it had a vaccine and he had to have his leg amputated yeah. below the knee. I mean, you know, we're talking about a coronavirus, which is very similar to, uh, the, you know, the flu. And why on earth do you need to be vaccinated for that? You know, people have, have got no faith in their own natural immunity. You know, and, and we're talking about um, a so-called virus that has got a 99.7 or 99.95, somewhere between those figures, um, global survival rate without a vaccine. It, it's absolute insanity. Brilliant point, that. Yeah, Matt Hancock recently speaking, I think, to Sky News, he bragged about if you've had two doses, he said, the second dose reduces your chances of death by 97%. Astonishing, really. And if the presenter was doing his or her job, the presenter would have said, well, your immune system reduces the chances of death by 99.6% or 99.7%, but, but they didn't. We'll talk about mandating vaccines. And we're going to talk generally today. Um, yeah. You're very... You're very um, what I'm looking here now. That's what I'm looking for now. You're very humble and very modest when you say, you know, you've not been researching and stuff like that. Um, so we're going to talk generally, and and what we're going to do is offer opinions. Where where, where it's conjecture, it, we'll always say it's conjecture. Where it's a stated fact, we can we can always say that. But before we talk about the vaccines, again, you made a brilliant point a moment ago about the toxins in the mask. I was sent peer-reviewed studies a few weeks ago, one from Germany, peer-reviewed, completely endorsed, um, rubber-stamped by the scientific community, and another one which came out of New York, which said that the majority of the masks, the disposable ones anyway, are filled with toxins, which were deadly, uh, with carcinogens and all sorts of stuff. And again, not a whisper, I did a quick story and I whacked it on my website, it's still there, but not a whisper from any media outlet in this country. I know we keep coming back to this and it does get a bit boring to talk about it, but at the same time, we can't not mention it, Peter. The media is acting as the propaganda wing of the people who are pushing these vaccines and mask wearing. It's done nothing to challenge any of it. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And, you know, let's not forget, let's go right back to when this started last year. I believe it was on the 19th of March um, that government scientists, as far as I know, it's still on the government uh, gov.uk uh, website to this day, where they downgraded COVID-19 uh, from a highly consequential infectious disease to something that is not, you know, basically on par with the flu. And then it was the following week that we went into the first lockdown. So, you know, for, for anybody that can step back from the situation and analyse what's happened since, looking at the facts, you can only be led to the conclusion that there has been a sinister plan behind this because the, the, the proof really is that we didn't need to go into lockdown at all, according to what the government scientists said about it not being a highly consequential uh, infectious disease. And then you look at all the studies that have been done about the effects on mental health, 
um, you know, the suicide rates going through the roof. People have been really struggling. You know, I've been struggling. I'm just a normal guy like everybody else. It's absolute insanity. But I honestly believe, Richie, that people that are tuning into mainstream media, they, they cannot see what's going on because of the lies and the propaganda. I think you have to be able to step away from mainstream media because you're absolutely right. It is nothing more than the propaganda, propaganda arm of the government. And I was listening to talk radio this morning. Julia Hartley Brewer had Laura Dodsworth on. She's got a book out about how they used fear last year. And again, some of these facts, not conjecture, but facts, Sage admitted, or the scientists who advised Sage how to change our behaviour, because Sage wanted us to change our behaviour. So they implied these, these people who know how to influence the public. And these people admitted, now this is a direct quote, they admitted using totalitarian fears to control our behaviour. This is just shocking stuff, Peter. Well, you know, unfortunately, Richie, I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, I remember UK Column running a story, you know, at least a year ago now, where an inside source from the government connected with SAGE had admitted that the government was using these uh, techniques, these mind-controlling, um, mind-altering techniques to get people to yeah. change their opinions about things and since then uh, you know we've had all of this stuff about you know elections being rigged and stuff on social media where people's influence has been directly um, where, where people's opinions have been directly changed through the influence of, of these professionals that have been hired for instance, you know, by the government. From my perspective, the whole thing is absolutely disgraceful. It's crazy. We've got Peter Ebden on the show today. Peter's the former World Snooker champion. He's a horse trainer. He's an expert in bloodlines as well. And, of course, Peter's a qualified healer, and we talked about that on previous programmes. You can follow him on Twitter. Thousands do, many thousands do, at PD Ebden at P.D. Ebden, E-B-D-O-N. Follow Peter there and uh, send him tweets. Uh, he's a great guy for getting back to people. Not too many celebrities will get back to you, it must be said. Uh, but the boy Ebden always gets back uh, to people who tweet him, which I find uh, very endearing, my friend. I think it's a wonderful thing that you do that. 13 minutes past uh, 6 o'clock. Peter, let me play you a clip. Uh, it's a very short one. It's only 15 seconds. It's the chef, Marco Pierre White, speaking to Good Morning Britain today. I think, I think, I think having... I think passports are very good actually um, especially if you look at what's happening in the news um, I think to have a, a vaccine passport is really clever and uh, but it hasn't been made compulsory yet but I I think it should be Marco Pierre White thinks that vaccine passports should be made compulsory now Peter I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass only because I'm sure he runs a business I'm sure he has a hotel I'm sure he has a restaurant and he's probably hemorrhaging money so maybe that influences what, what he's saying. But vaccine passports being compulsory, we're hearing a lot of that today. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's absolute nonsense. He's obviously a very good chef. And, um, you know, I'm sure he has got a business to run. But when it comes to the science of vaccines and vaccine passports, I think I'd far rather rely on somebody like Professor Dolores Carhill, who's one of the world leading authorities on vaccines and I think we shared a, a tweet today didn't we where yeah. I think it was last year sometime whereby she actually openly came out and said that if anybody forcibly uh, tried to uh, give her a vaccine she would sue them for attempted murder so you know vaccines full stop no not for me not for anybody 
that hasn't been corrupted by the big corporations and by government. You know, I've got massive respect for Professor Dolores Carhill. She's gone out on a limb. She's been on your programme. She's told people the facts. And she's not anti-vaccine. She's some, as you well know, she's somebody that develops vaccines. But she's said that these are genetically altering vaccines. We don't know what they're going to do to us. We don't know what they're going to do to our children when that genetic information, which has been changed, is passed on. We don't know what it's going to do to our children's children. You know, it's, it's a huge gamble. It's a global scientific experiment. You know, and, and some people would say that it potentially is an experiment of eugenics. Yeah. Absolutely right. Her big concern is, is that when you're injected with the mRNA vaccines, it, um, it, it basically changes your immune system's approach to fighting off infections in such a way that in the near future, if your body encounters a naturally occurring coronavirus, your immune system might go into overdrive, uh, something called pathogenic priming, and might basically destroy your, your own body's organs in an attempt to fight off this infection. And she explains this brilliantly and scientifically. She's not um, in any way hysterical. As you said, she's very qualified, more than qualified. And she says, look, um, I'm not saying this is going to happen to everybody, but it will and should happen to a lot of people. And um, yet, you know, she's lost her job at UCD in Dublin, very prestigious university. And apart from appearing on this programme and one or two others, she can't get a look in on, on, on mainstream media. I wouldn't touch one of these vaccines with a barge pole. I know that you won't, Peter, because you've told me before. And yep. I suppose you're retired now. But you see, the thing about you being retired, Peter, I, I know that you're in now in, into the, the, the horse training and breeding. And I know you love it, mate. You spoke to me off air privately one morning. I never heard such joy in a man's voice describing what you were doing that morning. It gave me goosebumps, and I mean that. I thought, well, I'd love to be as happy. Uh, doing something as you were there. But, you know, who, who knows in the future? You're very popular. I was watching um, the, the coverage of the World Championships, which I do uh, every year. I never miss a frame of it uh, as much as I can. And throughout the tournament, you got lovely mentions from, from your old pals, your old opponents, your old pals from the BBC. Stephen Hendry said some lovely things about you. He said, I'll never forget, he said, I, I've, I've never known a man to do so much, to go the extra yard, to improve himself. Uh, and to better himself than Peter Ebden. Praise indeed, lovely stuff. And who knows, you know, in a couple of years' time, you might say, I'll tell you what now, Barry Hearn, well, it won't be Barry, it'll be, um, it'll be his son, might say, ah, Peter, you're a legend now, we'll give you, we'll give you a wild card for the year. Um, but you couldn't take it, could you? If things go the way they want things to go, you'll have to be vaccinated and you'll have to show variants and you won't be able to get on planes. So it's, it's the sort of thing that might affect you in the near future, this. Does, does that yeah, occur I mean, to you? I, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be doing that. I mean, you know, thank you for sharing the comments there from Stephen. I mean, obviously, Stephen's an absolute legend. Um, you know, one of the greatest competitors I ever knew in my professional career. Um, you know, very nice words from him there. But the truth is, I had to try very hard, Richie, because I wasn't very good. <laughs> I had to make up for it. Well, that's a nonsense. Determination anyway. and yeah. force of will, you know, and, and it really was a, a, a case of will. But... You know, I, th I really think that the um, everything I experience as a professional and, you know, that determination and focus and doing all the, you know, personal psychology and, and, and all that sort of stuff, I really think that that has, um, you know, helped me 
in my quest to become a professional healer, which I qualified in a couple of years ago, because I can use that force of will um, when when I'm directing energy, um, you know, for my clients, and when I'm holding energetic protection um, for other healers, which I do on a regular basis, um, and that just helps for the you know the safety of the healing session. But um, going back to the snooker, no, I mean I, I couldn't. Unfortunately, I couldn't play a game because of you know my retirement through my neck injury, um, which I was just in unbelievable pain for around ten months. Um, I've had lots of healing, lots of body work, lots of acupuncture, um, and I'm very thankful to all of the people that have helped me and, and helped me to, to heal, especially all of the members of the College of Healing, and, and especially in the healing groups there. I've been part of the uh, distant healing circle, uh, so to speak, during lockdown when we've not been able to give people healing you know, on a, on a one-to-one basis. Um, and I'm very pleased to say that I've not been in any pain now whatsoever, since October last year, Marvelous. from January to October, I was in the most unbelievable pain. And it was really, really depressing because when you're in that much pain and, and anybody that's been in constant pain will know what I'm talking about. It's the only thing that you can focus on. I couldn't sit. I couldn't stand up without being in pain. Um, and I remember, you know, I was on a lot of painkillers because of the pain that I was in. And the day when I attended a funeral in Hungary, actually, from a friend of mine, unfortunately, he was killed tragically in a car accident. Um, I stood up for two hours during the funeral and I was just in so much pain. I said, right, that's it. I'm not taking any more painkillers. And I've not taken any painkillers, uh, you know, from that day. And fortunately, as I say, for six, seven months now, I've been in no pain, but that has got an awful lot to do with all the people um, that have, have helped me and sent me healing and I say the you know the body work and so I've got a lot to thank for you know Angela and Joe and and Meg um, the distant healing that she's done for me all the people at the College of Healing they are absolutely unbelievable I must tell you actually if you don't mind no, I attended um, a course uh, this weekend at the College of Healing which was absolutely fantastic it blew my mind and it was a course on elemental energy, so earth, air, fire, and water. Um, and it was just the first weekend, and we were dealing with earth. And I was absolutely blown away with the energy of the course. Uh, I feel very privileged um, to be a student at the College of Healing, even though I've qualified as a professional healer now a couple of years ago. I still go back and attend new courses and try to improve myself as a person, um, try and improve myself spiritually and try and improve myself as a healer. And to be able to be a student under Diane, who runs the college, and her husband, David, is just truly magical, to be perfectly honest. It really is. Amazing. And do you think, do you feel that you'll always be a student, that you're always going to be learning things, that you'll never, you know, reach a point where you, you know it all or you can do it all that there's always something to learn do you feel that absolutely richie we're, we're all students aren't we you know even experts in their field are still students i've been studying thoroughbred pedigrees pretty much every day for 30 years i set up a professional cons- uh, professional pedigree consultancy business designer pedigrees back in 2016 and I've got clients all over the world, and I manage the matings and design matings for a stallion in Australia. Um, one of my clients has got a stallion in Canada, and I'm learning every day. Um, and sometimes I go back uh, a long way in, in, in the generations. 
when I'm designing pedigrees, I would look uh, at least eight or nine generation pedigrees. Um, and, you know, for anybody that's listening that's involved in, you know, the breeding world, um, you know, I would say, honestly, when you go to the sales and you've only just got a three-generation catalogue page there, you can tell nothing because the main uh, reinforcements would be fourth, fifth, sixth generation. And then in, if in enough quantity further back, it can make a huge difference coming through to the fold. One of the guys that um, I've got tremendous respect for is a professional pedigree consultant called Ken McLean, um, an Australian who has been studying pedigrees for more than 50 years, and he was the leading pedigree consultant in uh, Kentucky. He was responsible for the stallion career of uh, Stormcat, who at one time was covering mares for $500,000 a time, and he would have been seeing over 100 mares a year. He's got more than 50 years' experience. I've got all of his books, um, and he's still learning to this day. And he basically said, if you ever come across anybody that tells you they've got a secret with regard to thoroughbred racehorses, then they're lying, because we're dealing with a, a hybrid animal. But all that you're doing, basically, is putting the percentages in your favour. And it's same with the healing. In actual fact, I said on, on this weekend, which I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed... I really feel that I'm only just scratching the surface of, you know, my my journey into healing. And I've probably given, I don't know, probably 350 healing sessions now, something like that. Um, and I'm just learning all the time. And there is so much to learn. And you just never stop learning. It's remember. wonderful, really. It's one of the things that has kept me going during lockdown, which I'm sure most of your listeners will agree has been totally unnecessary absolute insanity and should never ever ever happen again brilliant and we'll come back to that in a moment and i want to play you some audio about mandatory vaccination but i want to ask you a question something we again spoke off air about on the phone peter ebden world snooker champion uk champion multiple title winner and great guy much um, respected by his peers uh, and the fans of the sport uh, Peter's been talking about the bloodline um, research, uh, thoroughbreds training horses, of course, and he's a professional healer as as well. Tell me this, I've noticed over the years, you know, as somebody who watches a lot of news and current affairs programmes, from time to time I'll be on Sky or the BBC and they'll have a nice feature on. They'll show some, they'll show some children who maybe have behavioural problems, children that are struggling maybe, and they'll show how they've taken them to... Um, horse riding stables to meet with horses. Sometimes I've seen children with um, very severe body disabilities and they go with horses. I've seen prisoners, hardened, you know, cons basically, going to work with horses and it changes um, their lives. Now I talked to you about this one morning, not about this, but about you and the energy from the horses. And again, I never heard somebody speak with so much love. What is it about horses, my friend? Tell us about the energy, the transfer of energy that's kind of special when yep. you're talking about horses. What are these great oh, Richie, creatures? Richie, they're just beautiful creatures and they're beautiful to be around. I believe that they're very spiritual creatures. You know, you made the point there and, and I, I, I've seen the, the clips for people that are in, uh, you know, cancer wards and they bring horses in and there, there is a connection. There is a spiritual connection. It's almost as if the horses know that that person is not well. And not only do they bring a calming influence, I think that there is such a strong spiritual connection that in that particular moment, 
that's all there is. And people forget about their worries and what's going on in their life. Even people that are seriously ill, they, it is a truly magical connection. And not everybody feels that because not everybody is empathic in that way. But people that are empathic, they will feel that very, very strong connection with horses. Funny enough, I was with the horses this afternoon and uh, we got the chiropractor in today. And to see the way the horses reacted, the way they were just totally calm and they knew that the chiropractor was there to help them. Um, two of the horses that um, saw the chiropractor today who just had a few you know, small problems really with pelvis alignment and that sort of thing. As soon as they'd had the work done, they were totally different. They were, you know, it was, I could feel the sense that they were thankful. Not only that, one of them at the back looked taller. It was just an incredible transformation. And um, it's just wonderful to be around horses. I, to be honest, Richie, I've really struggled like most people have during lockdown. And being around the horses is one of the things that has kept me going, has kept me sane when I can't see my family, you know, I, I can't see my children, I can't see my grandchildren. I met my um, latest grandson, Theo, for the first time about three weeks ago. He was five months old. Right. Five months old, and it was the first time I've met him. What they've done to people, to everybody globally, over the last year, 16 months, whatever it is now, should never, ever be repeated. I think it's absolutely disgraceful. You know, this world is being run by absolute psychopaths, and they don't care. And what's it about? Is it about selling a vaccine? Is it about depopulation? You know, we are being controlled by dark forces, and we have been for a long time. That's the truth, okay? But fortunately, there are groups around the world of light workers, and I must say, Richie, you are one of those. You are absolutely a light worker. What you're doing, giving people a platform to to speak that will not be given platforms on MSN, uh, mainstream media, that are putting the truth out there. People like Dr. Vernon Coleman, you know, people like Professor Dolores Carhill. Honestly, mate, you are unbelievable. I am in awe of what you've done because I couldn't do what you do day in, day out because I feel the energy and the energy affects me and the energy is dark. And if we're not careful... We, we, you know, we really need to protect our energy. I have to step away, you know, and I have to, you know, I have to clear my aura every day. Um, and, and a lot of people are not trained healers and not able to do that. And they get really affected by this. It affects their life. And, and the thing that we need to understand is that once they're focused on that, they're in that energy. And unless you know how to clear the energy and I, th- I think your very good friend Mark Bioski uh, spoke to you uh, along similar lines before yeah. it's just drawing people in people are you know and their home their, their personal lives are being affected you know their relationships with their family members and their spouses and their partners are being affected and a lot of it is down to what they're reading what they're seeing on TV my advice to people would be to switch off the TV don't read the newspapers you know Tune in to Dr. Vernon Coleman. Tune in to the Richie Allen Show. Tune in to the talks of Professor Dolores Carhill. And just on that, Richie, the propaganda, look what's happened with these protest marches not reported on mainstream media. I mean, what is that all about? Amazing. You know, that that is it in a nutshell for me. there, There is an agenda, and they don't want people to know how strong the swell 
of the resistance is of people fighting back. And it's massive. And personally, I don't know if you feel it, but I feel that the 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 tide has definitely turned. And and I think these people, these psychopaths, I really think that they're on borrowed time. Might explain some of the you know, talk about variants and the need to vaccinate more people. They've sent vaccine buses to Bolton and, and, and Blackburn. We'll talk about that in a moment. First of all, thanks for the kind words. I've never been a modest guy. I've never been a boastful guy either. I'm fairly level-headed. So what I do is I just utilise a skill that I was taught when I worked in mainstream media. And that is, you know, find the person who is intelligent, who has, you know, got the qualifications, and but, but are being marginalised. Find them and speak to them and find out why they're being marginalised. That's what I do. And it's not... You know, it's not the most difficult thing in the world to do, but I do it anyway. But can I just say this about the the energy? Brilliant what you said there. I think one of the reasons it doesn't get to me um, is because I've learned to laugh at it, but not laugh in an angry way. Because you can laugh in an angry way. You can laugh and be bitter and twisted. I'm not bitter and twisted. I laugh at these people, belly laughs. I properly laugh at them. When I listen to them during the day, when I'm preparing the programme, and I grab some audio to use in the monologues, and I find that incredibly cleansing for me. And, I, you know, I've said in the monologues before, listen, your way is the right way. Healing and love is the way to beat these people. Not, not to beat them, but to remove them and remove them peacefully. But I also think laughing at them properly takes away the power they have because they are ridiculous, Peter, aren't they? When you have a guy saying that um, hugging is a risky procedure, I mean, Peter, yeah. this is laughable. This is ludicrous stuff. Hogging. I mean, it you're is, a healer, yeah, you know. Yeah, it is absolute <laughs> nonsense. I mean, you know, there are just so many things. It's just been one thing after another, isn't it? I think in one of the newspapers, it may possibly have been The Guardian, um, they said that there were no cases of the flu last year. Yeah. None. <laughs> That's right. None. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, how ridiculous yeah. is that? Yeah. And, and, and also as well, I think that there has been, you know, huge coercion and intimidation i mean i don't know about you but i've had about a dozen messages i've been contacted uh, a dozen times from you know my local surgery nhs i've had uh, calls i've had emails i've had text messages so i've been contacted uh, about a dozen times and i think that this is intimidation to conform through coercion regarding the vaccine um, and again, I think it's absolutely disgraceful. I think they got fed up with me because the last text message that I got, <laughs> funny enough, last week, it said, if you don't want to receive the, the vaccine, can you please respond in a text message and ah. re- respond decline? So that's what I did. But, you know, why do they need to contact me 12 times? Wow. I'm sure other people have been contacted even more. You know, I, I will never have this experimental vaccine. It is an experimental vaccine. It's still in the experimental stages you know we've heard reports that most of the animals that were tested during animal testing um you know died i mean what are what are they thinking i mean it's just it, it is insanity it is mad, but the yeah. levels of insanity over the last year or more have just been frightening and it's been one thing after another we've had you know crisis actors hired to play parts and you know start fights and cause trouble at peaceful demonstrations and if people out there don't think that's real you can google it 
You know, there, yeah. there are crisis actors that can be hired for these sort of things. You know, it's absolute nonsense. You think about a lot of the things that have happened in the last decade and, and more. Isn't it strange that they always have these uh, exercises on the same day that something disastrous happens? They just happen to be there on that day just happen to be going doing on, exercises. Yeah. yeah, I always say to people, when, a friend of mine who doesn't agree with either you or me, but he's still a mate, he's in radio back home, and he said to me, um, I said, oh, Richie, you and your mates, you're all full of crap with this crisis actors thing. And I said, well, look, um, the government used advisors to teach them how to change people's minds and how to convince people that a virus is more deadly than it is. Now, the government admits this. Why would a government want to convince a populace that a virus is more difficult, excuse me, more um, dangerous than it actually is, unless there's something serious going on? And then, if you accept that, because it's true, why wouldn't they use crisis actors to do various things? Yeah. If they were? Look, we know they got caught in Syria. The BBC was caught in Syria staging the aftermath of a chemical attack by an alleged chemical attack by uh, Bashar al-Assad's um, soldiers. It never happened. They do it all the time, Peter. It's a great point you're making here. These are the tools they're using to manipulate our minds and to shape us into thinking the way they uh, they want us to think. And they've been doing it for a long bloody time. Hey, before I forget to say this, and we, we, we don't have to go down this road, never forget people. Never, ever forget on the night of the 7th of July bombings, on the night, back in 2005, we were just about to leave the um, UK for Spain, where, where we lived for several years. So we're in the UK, um, and the 7th of July bombings happened, and everybody was terrified, me included, and my missus. Oh my God, what's going on? Could it happen in Manchester? On the, the ITN news that night, I was watching it live, a guy called Peter Power, who ran a consultancy company, was on ITN. You know this, don't you? He was on ITN Live, and he said to the presenter, I can find the audio and play it now. He said, it's um, extraordinary. He said, I work for a company. Uh, we, we run drills. And we were running a drill today, which envisioned the exact same scenario. Bombs going off in the exact same train stations that the bombs went off today. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah. And the ITN presenter yeah. said, wow, that's extraordinary. <laughs> And I'm yeah. watching it, and at this stage I was kind yeah. of half awake, you know. And I went, excuse me, language, Peter, I went, fuck off now. You were running a drill in the stations, envisaging the same scenario in the same train stations, and it just and, and he went, yes, we, we had to go from, a, from an exercise uh, to real-life crisis management. And I went, pull the other one. Just pull the other yeah. one now. You know, obviously the intelligence agencies blew up those train stations and that bus because they wanted us all to be terrified of Islamic terror cells in the country. And that's my take on it. it you might think completely different, Peter, but they admitted it on the day. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, no, I mean, the, you know, the psychological terror as well globally has just yeah. been absolutely incredible. But, you know, when you do look at stuff from around the world, when leaders are saying the same thing, you know that they're part of the cabal or as... You know, I would say, being a Londoner, they're a wrong'un. So yeah. what I would say to you is, anybody that you hear in politics or any governor or mayor or president or prime minister, if any of them say the words, build back better, you know what side <laughs> yes, they're right. on. <laughs> That's it though, isn't it? You know, and you get these people that have put clips together on social media and they'll have like 40 different leaders and allegedly important people from around the world and they're all coming in with this catchphrase build back 
better. And you know that in some basement somewhere, some psychological operations guys come up with this build back better. And all of a sudden, you know, we're brainwashing the whole world with build back better. It's absolute nonsense. It's just a telltale sign for me. And there are so many things like that, as you know, another one during the presidential campaign and, and from previous presidents, it was going to be a, a long, dark winter. Long, dark winter. How many times did they say that? And then it was build back better. I've got no idea what the next one's going to be, but it's just like a, a red flag for me. It's like them holding up the red flag saying, I'm an absolute wrong and I'm part of the cabal. This is part of a brainwashing technique. It's just, it's just all nonsense. It's quite sad, really. Um, I noticed something that uh, a friend of mine put on, um, on Facebook uh, today. He said, uh, so what happened to the South African variant the oh, Brazil yeah. variant and the Kent variant. Right. Have they disappeared like the flu? Um, and my response would have been something like, but don't worry, we've got the uh, Pensonville Road <laughs> variant and the Camden High Street variant. They'll be along in a couple of weeks' time. Don't forget the Daddy Longlegs variant. We have that one as well. Yeah, Daddy Longlegs variant. Yeah. yeah, they're everywhere. I'm going to, I'm going to, while I've been listening to you and I haven't missed a word that you've said, I've, I'm, I'm demonstrating my expertise in a radio studio. I've just managed to download and convert into an MP3 Peter Power, because I know there will be new listeners who found this programme in the last 12 months. We've all, uh, in the independent media, no doubt in the last 12 months, we've all had an increase in listenership because of what's been going on. People are looking for alternatives. You'll find that yourself, Peter. People will be coming to you who might previously, you know, they wouldn't have considered some of this stuff. Listen to Peter Power. This is live on ITN News uh, at 10 o'clock on the night of the 7th of July bombings. This gives the whole thing away. This is, this, it's almost comedy, uh, but you can't laugh because a lot of people did die. Just listen to this. Uh, today we were running an exercise for a company. Bearing in mind I'm now in the private sector. And we sat everybody down in the city, a thousand people involved in the whole organization, but the crisis team. And the most peculiar thing was we based our scenario on the simultaneous attacks on the underground and mainline station. So we had to suddenly switch an exercise from fictional to real. And one of the first things is, get that bureau number. When you have a list of people missing, tell them. And so it took a long to, time. Just to get this right, you were actually working today on an exercise that envisioned yes. virtually this scenario. Uh, almost precisely. I was up until 2 o'clock this morning because it, it's our job. My own company, Visor Consultants, we specialise in helping people to get their crisis management response. How do you jump from slow time thinking to quick time doing? And we chose a scenario with their assistance which is based on a terrorist attack because they're very close to uh, a property occupied by Jewish businessmen. They're in the city and there are more American banks in the city than there are in the whole of New York. A logical thing to do. And it, I've still so got how, the... I was going to say, how extraordinary today <laughs> must feel for you as, as it unfolds. You, you mentioned a few moments ago there our experience. Then he moves on, Peter. He moves on, the ITN guy. He moves on quickly because somebody in the gallery is screaming at him, move on. Move on now. <laughs> What's the football scores? Yeah. Get on to the football quick. <laughs> Imagine that, Peter. You, you've actually sat there, you've sat there and you've, you've, you've told the nation that there were bombs today on trains, in trains and train stations and on a bus that killed 80 people. Then a guy comes on the telly and tells you that he imagined and planned for a games, a war game scenario of exactly the same thing. And you just say, how extraordinary. Anyway, to go back to what you said a moment ago. <laughs> anyway, we can he, leave he that He did have there. a great accent though, didn't he? He had oh, a very well. educated accent. He had the plummy <laughs> accent. He had the plummy accent. He had all of that. Yeah. But yeah, that was worth playing because it's, I suppose it's relevant today now as much as it was. 
uh, before. Pe- know, go on, Peter. Do you know, Richie, because of um, all the stuff that's going on, you know, I've got massive respect for all of the people that are, are speaking out. You know, we've mentioned Professor Dolores Carhill. You know, we've mentioned Dr. Vernon Coleman. Yeah. Andrew Johnson from checktheevidence.com. He called this from day one, as you did. He's been absolutely brilliant. Um, UK column have been fantastic. Richard D. Hall from richplanet.net, fantastic. Um, and there's a guy that I follow on Twitter, actually. His name is uh, Ryan Martin, and um, he's got a business called Revive Yourself. And there's a couple of quotes, if, if I may. I'd Do, like to quote from, from him. He said um, on Twitter, if after 14 months you haven't asked yourself why every health minister looks like death and why the government are trying to mandate getting injected with poison rather than teaching you about practices that create, create health, then it's time you re- re-evaluated your thought processes. Yeah. I, re- I really like this guy. He, yeah. he tells it as it is. And um, he's obviously you know, very experienced in his field. He's you know, very educated when it comes to health. And there's another quote which I really like from him, again on Twitter. He says, if you still think you can catch a virus, but what is happening isn't to control you and take away your freedoms and you're berating people who don't wear masks and who aren't living in fear, then you need a sharp lesson in biology, history and manners. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He's a good guy. Very He's succinct. one of the good guys and he says it as it is. So, you know, if, if you're... Did you say Ryan, like Ryan, Martin, Ryan you said. Martin, Ryan Martin, you Ryan yourself. Top man. I'll check him out, Peter. I'll check him yeah, out. I'll check right. him out tomorrow morning. Peter Ebden yeah. is our guest. We've got um, probably probably seven or eight minutes left with Peter. Time has flown by. Listen, I'd be it, it would be unfair not to ask you because listeners want to know how do you feel about five G um, fifth generation wireless technology. Uh, my listeners know how I feel about it. I've interviewed Doctor Christopher Busby, who's a wonderful bloke. And I think it, it's potentially incredibly harmful, not only for our health, but for um, particularly for the health of children. Um, what, what do you think about it? Have you looked into it? Don't feel under any pressure to answer this no, now. No, I have actually, strangely enough, but it was quite some time ago. It would have been probably a year, 18 months ago. Uh, and I hope I get this woman's name right. I think her name was Dr. Devra Davis. And I watched an hour-long presentation on YouTube And she basically said it's absolutely scientifically proven that any amount of electromagnetic radiation is harmful to not only the human body, but all living tissue. That was it in a nutshell. So with 5G, obviously you're talking about concentrated wireless, you know, technology. It's, It's going to be harmful. You know, there is no debate about it because... The scientists have already proven that electromagnetic radiation is very harmful for us. So Absolutely. I've not looked into it in that much more great, greater detail than that, but I know that she is one of the foremost experts in the world. Brilliant, Peter. We'll leave, we'll leave that question there. Christopher Busby has been on with me. Christopher became famous, of course. One of the things he, he, he did was he exposed what was going on at Fukushima afterwards. But he also, he was in Iraq, in Fallujah. And he embarrassed the UK and American governments when he went to Fallujah and documented children being born with uh, terrible deformities because depleted uranium weapons were used in Fallujah by, um, by, the, by our governments, the American government and 
and the UK government. Great guy. Uh, he, he's a leading authority on non-ionising radiation. And he basically said what Peter just said there, uh, that this is potentially deadly. We will talk more about it on future programmes. Um, mandatory vaccination all over the news today. Let, let me just play it. This is only 35 seconds long now, if I can grab it. It's, a, it's an exchange between BBC broadcaster Naga Munchetti and a doctor based in the northeast called Dr. Yusuf Soni. And Munchetti basically asks him about compulsory vaccination. And uh, he gives an answer where he kind of says, well, the government might kind of have to go down that road. So do you think there's a resistance in being told what to do? Because that's the, the other thing that's being mooted, isn't it? That the government makes it compulsory to, ha- to be vaccinated. <laughs> Yes, and I, and I think what we are seeing now is that it's not only you that you are putting yourself at risk, and you might be putting others at risk. And mm. I think this is a completely new situation. We have never been in it. And I think um, as more and more people are getting affected, there's certainly more and more pressure building up on the government to do something along those lines. To do something along those lines, Peter, eh? As we both know, and I'm sure that all of your listeners know, because your listeners are very informed to be listening to you in the first place. So, you know, we, we know that your listeners are not the sort of people that believe the nonsense in mainstream media. But as a counter argument, as balance for that particular interview, why did they not have somebody like Professor Dolores Cahill on? And the yeah. reason is, as you well know, is because she would have absolutely destroyed him. Absolutely annihilated him. It, yep. For me, the, the most sickening part of that for me as a journalist is that a journalist would suggest it. You see, this is, it sounds like it's an interview, but it isn't. It's something far deeper and far more sinister. She's teeing him up. She's egging him on rather than say, listen, um, the idea that we would make van- vaccines mandatory, that's disgraceful, isn't it, doctor? We, we shouldn't be talking about that. Um, our listeners don't want to hear about being forced into accepting a vaccine. But she's teeing him up. You know, she's saying, oh, in Bolton and in Blackburn, they're not getting the vaccine. They're delaying the end of lockdown. Maybe we should make it compulsory. And that's what makes me all the more angry. A journalist should never do that. I can't believe it's come to this, to be honest. You know, to be honest, Richie, I agree with you when you replied, you know, to the guy today on on social media, on, on Twitter, about mandatory vaccines and you offered him to come up to Salford yeah. to try and give you the mandatory vaccine. Um, yeah, I, I think you put him in his place and, you know, absolutely right. You know, I would do the same. You know, there's nobody that's going to be vaccinating me, I promise you. Dan, and, Dan um, Hodges. We're talking about Dan Hodges, the Mail on Sunday columnist. He suggested yeah. on Twitter the other day that the way to deal with um you know, those who won't be vaccinated is to vaccinate them, whether they like it or not. You've got journalists now doing the job of, of, of SAGE in the government. It, it, uh, it's, a, it's a wicked place to be in. Peter Ebden is our guest. Uh, last couple of minutes, by the way. Uh, our listeners love when you talk about healing. Uh, they really do. And I get criticised for not doing enough of it on the programme. And maybe now is 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 a time when maybe I should be spending more time talking about these things, you know, solutions. We try to talk about solutions. I try to, as much as I can. Peter, I ultimately believe, I'm going to give you the final word, I ultimately believe that obviously what you do and what Mark does and others and the great people that you've introduced me to uh, on the programme through mentioning their names, what you do is vital and it can't happen without you. Um, energy healing, I've no doubt in that. I believe it in my heart and soul. But I also believe that people are going to have to 
disobey Peter in, in great numbers, not to be violent, not to give them what they want, but to not comply in great numbers, civil disobedience, do what Gandhi did and say, no, we don't comply. How do you feel about that as a concept? Richie, as you well know, you are absolutely spot on. And I think the fact that we've had hundreds of thousands of people in a peaceful protest march in London and the fact that that has not been reported by mainstream media tells you everything that you need to know. But with regard to the energetic battle that is going on at the moment, it's the age-old battle between dark and light. It's always been going on. It will probably always go on. But, you know, there are light workers all around the planet that are coming together, sending healing to the planet, sending healing to other um, healers, and making a real difference on a, a global level. I think my final words, Richie, would be fear is a choice. Compliance is a choice. Being a light worker and not giving in to the darkness, corruption, manipulation, greed and lies is a choice. Choose to become a force for good. Become a shining light to others and lead by example. Love having you on this programme, Peter. Come back any time. Don't wait to be invited. I said that before. Love having you on. Follow Peter on Twitter, please. It's at P.D. Ebden. All one word, at P.D. Ebden. Uh, always tweets and retweets, interesting and important stuff does Peter. So check him out, folks. If you haven't before, you have been listening to the former World Snooker and uh, UK uh, champion, uh, the pro- professional healer and, and uh, horse trainer, the great Peter Ebden. Peter, thanks for your time today. Loved hearing Richie, you. Richie, it's lovely to speak to you again. Thanks ever so much, mate. And thank you so much for all the great work that you've been doing and continue to do and the platform that you're giving people who are denied access to mainstream media and thereby reaching a wider public. You know, God love you for what you're doing, Richie. You are a true light worker. Massive respect to you. Uh, thanks, Peter. And likewise, thanks for those kind words. That's a lovely thing to say. The great Peter Ebden, folks. Peter will be back on the programme again in the near future. I have no doubt about that. Lovely to hear him today uh, on the programme. That's uh, nearly all we have time for. Thanks to the tweets that came in uh, about Peter. Thank you. Thanks to John, uh, my mate John in Austin, in Texas there. How you doing, John? Hi to Richard Snow. How you doing, Richard? Who sent me a picture of a Volkswagen variant. I, 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 you know, I, I don't know too much about cars. I've never been a petrol head. But I generally tend to remember the makes and models because that looks like a car now that I would have seen in Ballybeg in Waterford when I grew up, grew up in Ballybeg in the early 80s before moving to another part of Waterford, Browns Road in Waterford. But I do remember seeing some of these old cars. That's a station wagon, an estate, the Volkswagen variant. God, it's a lovely looking car as well, isn't it? Hey, thanks for that. Uh, Richard, I, I really appreciate that. Um, we'd love to tell you about guests coming up tomorrow and later on in the week. I think I've got bookings, but as usual, I, I can't tell you. I'm the worst self-promoter there is. I can't tell you who's coming up on the programme, but I do have guests booked in and interesting things to talk about as well. And I promise I, I will do a phone-in show at some stage. The phone-ins are brilliant. Uh, Simon says, Richie, you're spot on about the London Tube bombings. Watching the film 7-7 Ripple Effect is what woke me up. Thanks, Simon. That's a good film that I'm not sure if it's still available on YouTube. I think it might be. 7-7 Ripple Effect. Nick Collerstrom wrote an amazing book called Terror on the Tube, which I've got a copy of somewhere in, 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 in my library. 
I get a lot of books from folks, of course, I've received a lot of books over the years. I'll never forget watching ITN News that night. We were living in Thornton Road, in Manchester, in Fallowfield. The oft-mentioned Caroline and myself. And that was a big thing for me, seeing that news bulletin. We were watching Sky News and flipping over between Sky and... Did the BBC have a 24-hour news channel in 2005? It might have done. Can't remember. But we were switching over. And I said, let's watch ITN News. And we switched it on. And the guy's talking about the terrible bombings, because people did die. Be under no illusion. People died. The next thing, he interviews this guy from a crisis management company called Peter Power. I just played you the clip. I mean, to say astonishing, astounding, jaw-dropping, those adjectives don't cover it. You're like, what the fuck did he just say there? Did he just say that, um, well, it's quite amazing, really, yes. We were running an exercise. We were running an exercise that was based around a scenario, a scenario about bombings in the exact same locations that were bombed today. Can you believe it? Uh, no, Peter, I can't fucking believe it. Uh, so what you're actually telling me is that you had some part in it. Now, Peter Power didn't have some part in it. You know what I think, don't you? I've said this before. Mohammed Siddiqui Khan, one of the alleged bombers, God love him, and his three mates. I believe that those young men, those young men, whom uh, British Asians, Brit let's not call them Muslims, British Asians, that's who they were, Muslim by choice. Because you choose to be a Muslim, you choose to be a Jew, you choose to be a Christian, right? That's my opinion, like it or lump it. Anyway, my opinion is that these guys were invited down to London to take part in a training exercise. Except they were given rucksacks with real bombs in them, unbeknownst to the boys. That's one of the scenarios. What a wonderful world we live in. Peter Ebden, top man. Do find him on Twitter, at PD Ebden. Love Peter. Look forward to speaking with him again. I'm going to love you and leave you. Thanks for listening to the programme. Here's Bill Withers to close it out. And the gorgeous Lean On Me. By the way, today marks the second anniversary of me and El Frogo Tremendo moving to this house in Salford. We moved two years ago, would you believe that? We got the keys three days previous and on the 17th of May 2019 we moved into this house. It was madness, so two years. Me and her are going to have a private beer and celebrate that. Love you. See you tomorrow. Bye now. Some